Hello, welcome to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people that teach it. My name is Samantha Snyder, and in this episode, I sit down with Associate Curator Adam Irby to discuss some of his favorite items in the collection and the behind-the-scenes process of interpreting the mansion. As a friendly reminder, there is still time to register for the upcoming special Lunch and Fellowship with Joanne Harvey, who will discuss needlework. If you haven't already, please rate us and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on all social media platforms. And now, my interview with Adam Irby. Thank you, Adam, for joining me in the studio today. I'm really happy to have you sitting across from me. Thank you, Sam. Happy to join. So I guess today we're just going to talk a little bit about what it means to be a curator and kind of your background and that sort of thing and the work you do here. Um, So I guess we'll go ahead and get started. And my first question for you is, indeed, what is your background and how did you get to Mount Vernon? Uh, So my background is I was born and raised in South Central Virginia in a sort of a rural community about an hour south of Richmond, a place called Lunenburg County. Um, And I grew up around a lot of historic buildings and a lot of people who were very interested in the antiques trade. Um, From an early age, I really liked to tromp around old buildings. There were a lot of sort of late 18th, early 19th century buildings that were just sort of hanging out in the middle of agricultural fields. And I love to walk through them and check them out and see, um, see what they were. But then I also had an uncle who was a little, who liked to deal in sort of antique uh, crockery and stoneware on the weekends. And he got me interested in studying the objects as uh, lenses into the past. Um, from the, so that was sort of, and then I also worked in a couple of uh, local auction houses, schlepping furniture around when I was uh, in high school, and I learned very quickly I didn't want to do too much more <laughs> of that. I wanted to go into the more academic side. Yeah. Then I went from there to the University of Virginia, where I fully anticipated that I, w- I would go into politics or law or something huh. uh, like that. But I quickly uh, took some classes. Uh, taught there by two wonderful professors, Maury McGinnis and Lewis Nelson, in material culture and architectural history. That's when I really learned that I could take my passion for these objects and these buildings and transform that into a career. Um, At the University of Virginia, I majored in American Studies, so I got a good broad depth and breadth of all, all sorts of fields, um, including history, um, lots of architectural history, and some material culture classes. And from there, I went on to the winter. I decided I really wanted to concentrate on objects and not mm-hmm. the buildings themselves. Mm-hmm. And I went on to the winter program in American material culture, which is run through the University of Delaware and housed at the Winter Museum, which is a f- fantastic museum dedicated to studying the arts and cultures of early America. I got my master's degree there, and I came straight from there to Mount Vernon. I always, Colonial Williamsburg really got me started with a passion for historic houses when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to work in an 18th century um, Virginia house. And what better Uh, Virginia house than Mount Vernon? I was just going to say, what better place than Mount Vernon? Um, Real quickly, how far away was Colonial Williamsburg from where you grew up? Just Colonial Williamsburg was about two and a half hours away from where I grew up. Cool. Which, so I would always beg my parents to take me to Colonial Williamsburg for vacations. And my brother, he could not stand it. Which, <laughs> what's really funny about that is my brother ended up going to William & Mary and living in town for oh, four that's years. that's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> well, 
cool. Well, um, so you you said you came straight here from from Winterthur. So when you started here, what are some of the early projects that you worked on? So when I started here, um, we were really in the midst of the library was being built. We had a lot of exhibits going on, and we were just beginning to take a serious look at redoing the mansion. Okay. So my first project was an exhibit called Gardens and Groves, George Washington's Landscape at Mount Vernon, um, that really turned a critical eye to back to the landscape at Mount Vernon and to Washington's design of that landscape um, and to the decorative features that Washington put in in the years after the American Revolution um, when he becomes a central figure in the American eye. Mm-hmm. Um, he puts in an ornamental uh, ornamental landscape in a way that hadn't been there before, but in a very English sort of way, anticipating lots of guests coming to see the father of the new nation uh, at Mount Vernon. So that was my early project. The, the book, uh, The General in the Garden, came out of that. Ah, okay. And then um, on the, but then on the sort of separate track, my per personal interest in specialty is uh, furniture and historic interiors. So I started early on working on um, the new room project when we redid um, the large dining room or new room in the mansion. We we reinterpreted it and that was the largest uh, restoration project that had taken place in the mansion in 30 years. Wow. Oh, wow. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, and that sort of large project like that, do you work with other divisions? I know the the Historic Preservation and Collections division is quite large, so can you tell me kind of who all you work with within that? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, any of these projects um, in the mansion are very, all of them are very collaborative. We have lots of different players, but they're usually um, a key player. In, there's usually a key player in the, on the architecture team mm-hmm. who hands, handles the architectural restoration. Um, it could be our director of uh, of architecture or one of his the folks that work for him. And then on the on the curatorial side, there are uh, one of the curators is usually the lead on a project like that. Um, but then we also work with. Uh, we don't do all of the work ourselves. That we do the background research and guide the restoration and the conservation that happens. So we have conservators that work on individual objects, conservators who work on the architecture, and uh, fabricators of paint, fabricators of wallpaper, uh, fabricators of um, period uh, period style frames. You name it. We have lots of contractors who help us out on any given project that we work on. That's really interesting. I, you know, before working here, I didn't realize how detailed these projects were, and I think it's absolutely fascinating. So thank you for explaining that further. Um, I think another question I have for you is, since we do have a relatively large collection, what are some of your favorite items in the collection? Oh, that's like asking what your favorite child is. (laughs) Or favorite book, in my case. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. One favorite objects. Um... It sort of it it bounces from object to object mm-hmm. based on what I'm researching. A group of my favorite objects are um, this series of paintings that Mount Vernon bought last year by the Alexandria-born artist John Gadsby Chapman. Um, they're scenes from the 1830s of um, 
of Virginia landscapes related to important events in Washington's life. And Chapman um, really got the bug for George Washington and really uh, decided in in right after uh, 1832, which is the hundredth year hundred year anniversary of Washington's birth, to capitalize on that mm-hmm. and begin to publicize um, sites related to George Washington. And he did that in collaboration with a man named James Kirk Paulding, who was a popular author who ended up writing a biography of Washington. Paulding sent him out into the Virginia landscape to interview some of the last people who were. Um, who were who knew George Washington um, and asked them questions about them, but also to paint these magnificent scenes that showed the landscapes as they were. Um, they're some of our, our finest pieces of art. The most important of them um, is really a scene of the Washington bedchamber. Oh. And that scene is a reconstructed view. So Chapman goes around to the to the grandchildren and asks them what they owned that was in the room when Washington died. Oh, wow. And then he paints, so he paints the room and then paints each of the individual pieces in as uh, Eleanor or Nellie uh, Park Custis Lewis told him where mm. where they went in the room. Wow. So it's our best document showing yep. us what the mansion looked like, and we were very fortunate to get it, uh, to bring these paintings into the collection last year. Very cool. Very cool. And I know another thing that you worked on, which I'm sure people would be interested to hear more about, is the Bastille Key. Ah, yes, the Bastille Key. The Bastille Key is one of these great sort of collaborative projects that we worked on. Um, we Earlier this year, we took down the Bastille Key um, and key case uh, to in order to repaint the central passage. We found that the key itself was not um, it was in its original case from 1793 and the case itself is an extraordinary object probably made by uh, the Philadelphia carver uh, James Reynolds in the 1790s. And when we took it off, we found that the key was not held very securely in there. So we immediately went into sort of, a conservation mode, figuring out what we needed to do with this piece uh, to bring it up to to standard, but also to make sure that the, both the key and the original case were taken care of in the best way we possibly could. So working with our conservator, Linda Landry, we did uh, finish analysis on the piece to determine how it looked originally. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked with a wonderful conservator by the name of Tom Snatter, who did um, a lot of the work on regilding and repainting the interior, but it was all done in a very reversible way so that somebody could come down, come along later and take away what we've done. We also worked with a wonderful carver in Pennsylvania named Rob McCullough to replace one of the missing elements that was down at the bottom of the key case that had been gone since the middle of the 19th century. Oh, wow. And we knew of that piece because there were two little little tabs that showed where where uh, that a piece was missing, and you could see it was broken off. Um, but we also had a 19th century print source that showed us approximately what that looked like. Okay. So we put those all back together. We put the case, um, we inserted a, an element into the case to hold the weight of the key and prevent it from bearing down on uh, the case itself. And we held it all together, um, and it's much more secure today than it was um, was before January, and we're very excited that it's back on view, and it's 
the new gilding on it really makes the piece pop. You can really, when you walk in the room, you it's an aha moment. You really see the key and it pops out at you. Very cool. Well, everyone needs to come and visit and see that key. Uh, and I guess another question I have for you, I know you do a lot of research for projects at Mount Vernon, but do you have any other exciting personal research that you'd like to share? Personal research. I do a lot of research for Mount Vernon. <laughs> and it's it's sort of a hard, it's a, a strange line, which what's work, what's what's fun. But um but the the research project I'm working on that's both for Mount Vernon and for myself, I'm working on two projects. One is about John Gadsby Chapman that I'm working on with my good friend, Dr. Lydia Brandt, who's a professor at the University of South Carolina. We hope to publish that in a couple of years. Um, but I'm also working on researching the Fairfax family at Belvoir Plantation. Um, when I got to Mount Vernon, the about a year after I got to Mount Vernon, we acquired this really incredible ledger or uh, what George William Fairfax called shop notes, which is mm-hmm. basically transcriptions of everything that the Fairfax family at Washington, at the neighboring plantation house that Washington's good friends purchased in London between 1760 and 1774. And this document offers a wonderful lens into what sort of the most elite Tadwater, Virginia family was buying in that 14-year period. Um, And it really shows what Washington was aspiring to. Um, And there's a lot of back and forth between here here and Belvoir. Um, The most important aspect of that is a list of four pages of furniture purchased from a London upholsterer by the name of William Gom. Um, William Gom sold George William Fairfax an entire household full of furniture in London that he then brought back here to Mount Vernon. And an upholsterer in the 18th century was like an, uh, an interior decorator. He sold George William Fairfax all of the furniture, all of the curtains, all of everything in the room. But then he also... Uh, guided George William Fairfax to people to provide him mantelpieces and wallpaper, and he really coordinated the the whole interior. That furniture was um, all went all came to Belvoir, and then when the Fairfaxes went back to England just before the American Revolution in 1774, there was a sale of all that furniture, and George Washington bought a huge amount of it. And so this document illuminates a lot of Washington's purchases. Many of these pieces are gone. So I've been researching probably over the course of the past five years, putting together the pieces of that story of the Fairfax family, what they were doing in Virginia, and really tracing the tale of that furniture from its purchase in London ware rooms, traveling across the Atlantic, installation at Belvoir, sale at a public auction, and then installation at Mount Vernon. And you can really see the changing meaning of furniture over time in a way that is not uh, readily um, also, that is not always apparent in 18th century terms. Mm-hmm. That research I will publish uh in it should be my article should be finished up in January and it will appear in the Chipstone Foundation's journal American Furniture. Wonderful. That's really exciting. And correct me if I'm wrong, is some of that interpretation is going into the front parlor? Much of that much of that interpretation is it going into the front parlor. Okay. The fa- uh, finding the Fairfax ledger was really the impetus for um, redoing the front parlor because 
there were there was furniture that Washington bought at the auction, mm-hmm. um, and we knew that fairly well. But there was also a suite of furniture, really the most expensive suite of furniture at Belvoir, which consisted of eight chairs, which were called back stools. They were upholstered on the back and on the seat, and then a sofa, probably one of the first sofas that was in 18th century Virginia. They were in the blue dressing room at Belvoir, and they were given to George Washington as a gift by George William Fairfax. They came to Mount Vernon, and Washington used them in his front parlor. But we only had scant references to that gift, and we didn't know what that furniture was. There were references to the furniture in the blue dressing room or the uh, the the furniture the furniture in my dressing room. We didn't we didn't hmm. know what that was until this ledger showed up, and we had a complete listing of what that was. And I've worked over the course of the last three years to reconstruct some of that furniture, okay. and yep. that will appear in the front parlor yep. when we reopen in February of twenty nineteen. Woohoo! I can't wait to see it. Um, so, Adam, what does it mean to be a curator at Mount Vernon? Well, you start with what what does the word curator mean? And it really means uh, a, someone who's responsible for taking care of a collection. And here at George Washington's Mount Vernon, we have a collection that has been amassed in the really more than 160 years um, by the Mount Vernon Ladies Association of objects that were owned by George and Martha Washington, but also objects that tell the story of George Washington's uh, life and legacy, and even the story of other people um, who lived here at Mount Vernon. Um, at, as a curator at Mount Vernon, we have a broad uh, range of responsibilities, um, and none of us really, we all have our little personal specialties. Mine is furniture and historic interiors, but we're all more generalists, mm-hmm. so we all, we all work on, on, on projects that, uh, that, are, that are assigned to us or we, uh, we choose over the course of our time here at Mount Vernon, um, I've been working on the front parlor and sort of the restoration and conservation of that area, whereas others um, work on putting on exhibits and doing the research and writing behind all that. Um, Really, being a curator here at Mount Vernon involves a lot of research and writing, researching the pieces that are owned uh, that are owned by Mount Vernon, making sure that they are what they say they are, making sure that we know their complete histories, but also making sure that the pieces are conserved and taken care of mm-hmm. to the to our highest abilities, and that we are doing our best to take care of them. To that end, we have a, a wonderful conservator here on staff, Linda Landry, who helps us. Um, with that, and we work back and forth on conservation of paintings, of furniture, of works of art, um, many th- different things. But we also um, we also work to get our research out through lectures, through written um, written reports, through uh, articles that we write. That's what that's what we do here as curators at Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned researching the objects that trying to figure out what they if they are what they say they are but do you do any kind of acquisitions work here and and if so what what type of what's an acquisition that you've made for the collection that you find interesting acquisitions for the collection are are interesting they're an interesting part of our work um, we 
are, are constantly searching for items that were owned by the Washingtons, but also for items that we can use in our museum to tell the story of George and Martha Washington. Um, one of the sort of in in they these go from common items, um, items that would have represent items that would have been in the mansion that are very similar to ones Washington owned, um, to things, uh, to paintings and things that represent Washington. One of the more interesting ones, but not the most glamorous, that um, I uh, acquired for the collection is um, the the broken off head of a cane um, that had that we bought maybe three years ago that had an uh, a, a brass plaque in the top of it. Um, the cane had an inscription that said that the um, the cane was made from a spoke of George Washington's carriage. Oh, wow. And so it was made in the 19th century, and I was able to track the family to Winchester, Virginia, the family that owned this particular cane. And there's a story that goes along with that, and this man, Bishop Meade, who was an early, uh, an Episcopal bishop in Virginia, but an early historian of Virginia. He wrote a book about um, old houses and families in Virginia. Bishop Meade purchased uh, George Washington's carriage from George Washington Park Custis, George Washington's step-grandson. And after it had sort of fallen apart, George Wash- uh, he, uh, Bishop Meade decided to have to take the piece and break it up and give either give away elements hmm. or sell elements. He gave away the spokes in uh, the wheels to charitable organizations who then made these canes out of the the, the wheels. Okay. And Bishop Mead writes in his book that one of these wheels um, made one a ladies organization over one hundred dollars from the huh. sale of these pieces. <laughs> you can really see the sort of relic aspect of. Everybody wanted a piece of George Washington, mm-hmm. and this is one of the ways of getting it. And I really like things that sort of connect with people we people we can identify in the past and real stories um, that, that tell something about people at different times. That's super interesting. How cool. Um, so I guess one other question I have for you is, have you had any interesting finds in the collection? Like, I know in the in the library collection, we sometimes when we open the boxes of manuscripts, we'll be flipping through and all of a sudden be like, ooh, what is this cool thing? And, and then you discover something new that's always been there, but you didn't know it. Absolutely. So when I first, this goes back to the New Room Project. Mm -hmm. When I first got to Mount Vernon, we were working on the New Room, uh, working on that restoration. And I was also getting to know the collection and getting to know the house. So I would go around, walk around the house, walk around up on the third floor, see what was where we still had a few objects in storage on the third floor Mm -hmm. and really get a feel for the what was going on. One of my tasks with this, uh, the new room project was figuring out what curtains were in the room. Oh, and that okay. was a difficult task because Washington's probate inventory lists the curtains as being valued at $100, which is five times more than the next, uh, next most expensive set uh, that was in the front parlor. Um, we did an extensive amount of paint analysis on both the Venetian window and the two windows on the sides, and couldn't find any evidence around the the uh, architraves of where curtains had hung, which gave us some pause. 
But hmm. there's another way of hanging curtains that you don't have to put pencils right into the okay. into the architraves, and that is to hang a cornice board, which is a um, a lot of people call them pelmets, um, and it's an architectural board that goes above a window and holds curtains. Oh. Well, one day I was up on the third floor, and there was there was a pair of these wonderful cornice boards hanging out on the third floor. Um, of the mansion, and I took a look at them, and a few people who've been here for a long time, they said, oh, no, they're nothing. Um, But I I looked at them, and I was like, there's something about these that's really interesting. They had uh, composition ornament swags and bows that looked very much like what was going on in the new room. It wasn't exact, but it was close. Mm -hmm. I quickly found out that they had been in the mansion. They were interpreted in the front parlor from... Basically, the time the Mount Vernon Ladies Association took over until uh, the 1980s. Um, So they were early, um, and they'd been transferred with the house by John Augustine Washington III. Mm -hmm. So I did some technical analysis, had some technical analysis done. The first thing was we had paint analysis done. Okay. And we, we... looked at the, and that's where you take a small sample of paint and look at it under a microscope. We have a wonderful woman in, uh, in paint analyst in Williamsburg, Virginia named Dr. Susan Buck. She conducts all of this work for us. She took a look under it and there were 12 layers of paint and finish oh, on it. Oh man. So it had been around for a little yeah. while. <laughs> um, then we took it and had it x-rayed. Okay. And when we x-rayed it, um, we were able to see the nails inside. Oh, wow. <laughs> and nails change with technology, mm-hmm. um, the way they're made. But these were the very early way that nails were made. These were hand-forged, hand-headed nails. And so we knew that they were early prior to, say, 1805. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, so we, we looked at them, and there was something going on with these pieces. So that caused us to take them into the new room, take a look at them, but they were still too, they were too small for the windows. Okay. Um, And that, again, caused us to take pause, but researching in Washington's letters, I found a document where Washington writes to his farm manager, a man named William Pierce, Mm -hmm. and he asks him, this is at the end of the presidency in 1796, he asks him for measurements of nearly everything in the house. And for Pierce to write these things so Washington can make specific orders. Mm-hmm. And wash, so Pierce measures the windows in the new room and measures them at three feet six inches from outside of architrave to outside of architrave. These still, the windows still survive in their original condition. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at the, the cornice boards, the, the cornice boards correspond exactly to his measurements. They are three feet, six inches wide. Oh, wow. But the windows are three feet, eight and a half inches wide. So he mismeasured. So <laughs> these cornice boards with curtains get here to Mount Vernon. And they're too small. They're too small. You're in a, you're, you're 14, uh, you're, you're sort of uh, miles away from Alexandria. Mm-hmm. You're not going to send these back to Philadelphia. So what do you do? You make do with what you have and you sort of make the curtains work. And we've been able, and we know that he must have done that because they stay with the house. Yep. yep. And so we reinstalled them in the uh, in the in well we, we reinstalled reconstructions of them in the new room 
and we retain that little mistake. Oftentimes, people in historic house museums make everything look perfect, but there okay. were mistakes. We all make mistakes, yep. and this is one of them. And here you can we we have such detailed information at Mount Vernon that we're able to see George Washington's. Uh, well, his farm manager's mistake, and I think that's a fun story. I do, too. I Re- do, too. Recovering these things. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that, Adam. That's a really interesting story. Thank you, Sam. Um, so I guess that's that's really all I have for you today. Do you have anything you want to add or mention? Well, we have a lot going on at Mount Vernon right now. Um, I, one, of the, one of the most frequent things I hear is that people will say they've come to Mount Vernon they, they've been to Mount Vernon once, and they but they came when they were in high school, and they came many years ago. Um, I'd encourage people to come back and check out Mount Vernon and see what the new research is and what the, what the reinterpretation of many of the spaces um, in the mansion. See our new exhibit, uh, Lives Bound Together, Slavery at George Washington's Mount Vernon. There's always something new to see here, and that's one of the things... Uh, that I think is most exciting about Mount Vernon. We're constantly changing. We're constantly interpreting uh, new, new information. Wonderful. Well, Adam, thank you for joining me in the studio today, and I can't wait to hear about all your future research. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.